Sonic States. Um, okay, so uh, this week as uh, podcast twelve, we've got uh, a bit of a treat. We've got two editors in the same room, and we've got uh, so we've got Ronan McDonald from uh, Computer Music. Hello, and we've got Oz Owen from Future Music. Hello, how you doing, guys? Right, and we've also got Dave Spears on the line. How you doing, Dave? I'm good, and you? Yeah, not bad. What's been happening this week? One of the things I did notice, actually, there's a bit of a German theme to us, uh, to our topics this week. Um, and the first of those is uh, all to do with the new uh, virus TIOS, which has just gone up to version 1.2.3. Um, I know the virus engine seems to be a favourite for a lot of people. I mean, you know, they did one on... Did they do a TDM one? Mm-hmm. Yeah. They did a TDM one, they've done a PowerCore one. You know, I mean, it's... So it's sort of cover... Everybody can... Maybe has an opinion, but I mean, a lot of people just totally swear by it. I mean, what's what's your take on that? Well, I remember uh, we had a phase in Future Music where for about a year, it seemed that everyone we interviewed, whether they were just, uh, you know, celebs punting out records week after week or just uh, people with project studios, every single person had a virus of some description. And I was quite stunned by that. I was thinking there's probably a good reason not to get one, just because everyone else has got them. But uh, there's no doubt that they're, uh, you know, offer a broad palette of sound so it has a sound doesn't it i mean all the built-in effects i think is what people kind of really get dig about it yeah well, it's, still, it's still a drum and bass staple as well yeah I mean, lots, a lot of drum and bass producers are incredibly software orientated but loads of them still have a virus a hardware virus of that yeah like you mentioned effects what are, what's the effects count up to you know it's got to be over a hundred now that you can run simultaneously across all patches i remember it was about 80 odd for, for years god how would you ever would do you think there's anybody ever writes to them and says I need more. <laughs> yeah, there's bound to be, isn't there? You know, as long as Jean-Michel Jarre walks the planet. Yeah. I remember um, seeing him once in Paris and uh, someone telling me from DigiDesign that uh, he's 102 tracks of audio MIDI in this, this one track he did. And I'm thinking, like, <laughs> um, <laughs> that's 102 too many, obviously. But, 101 too many, sure. Oh, I don't know. I'd go the whole lot. <laughs> well, I'd, I'd, yeah, but, I mean, come on. I don't think, I mean, track counts... I mean, if we're going to talk track counts, I'm, I'm sure. I mean, I'm, I'm sure I've worked on projects that've got ludicrous amounts of track counts. I mean, even you're comping stuff together. I mean, it just it's what happens, isn't it? I suppose so. I don't know if you can't make it work with eight tracks these days. I'm not interested. <laughs> uh, Dave, have you um, have you got any viruses in your collection? Uh, just a power core one. And how do you find that? Is it? I, mean, I like what, it. it. Was was it a B or a? Was it or it's just virusy? It's amazing. It's the C. Really? Yeah, yeah, it, yeah. Brilliant. Like and, it a lot. Is it still supported, or have they kind of have they stopped iterating for it, or does it just work fine? It hasn't, and that's it hasn't had any updates for absolute ages. I guess it doesn't need any. Uh, I think it's it's the only one on my system when I launch Logic that goes, "You haven't got a proper AU." Yeah, that's right. That's true. That's true. Well, that's pretty good. I seem to remember talking to one of the guys um, ages ago about they were when they went over because of the DSPs are the same essentially yeah. that they use. So it was it was a bit of a no brainer. It's them. identical. I mean, just you can't tell the difference. Um, so, and um, what about the TI though? Because the TI sort of spans the, you know, supposed to span the bridge between hard and software, isn't it? I mean, it's because it runs as a plugin, as I understand it. And uh, I was just looking at a video and enables you to use the interface, you know, as as a hardware control to other software synths or various other items. Um, have you had one in for review, Oz? I mean, do you have you seen one? We reviewed one quite a while ago now. Um, you know, one of the uh, drawbacks of having a memory like a goldfish is that you can't actually remember really what happened, you know. But uh, I remember it did very well. I didn't actually get to try it myself, which is a shame, because I'm a big fan of the virus sound. Uh, but yeah, it uh, seems to be uh, almost like it does too much. 
I mean, they have had some teething problems with Eric because they, they, they suffered a little bit from announcing it and having some pre-production models and not having maybe the software kind of quite up together initially. But, I mean, is it all sorted now? Is everybody, has anybody been following that? As far as I know, it's all uh, rolling along very nicely. I was hoping to get one of the virus guys into, uh, you know, for, as an insert, just to tell us a little bit about this. Um, but they've gone to do... Where's he gone? He's gone to Atlanta to do one of those kind of remix hotel things. Oh, yeah. Um, which sounds like quite a laugh, really. Actually, th- th- there's a sort of link between the German stuff, because on the front of uh, Future Music, is it that current issue or the next issue? Or? Uh, current issue, yeah. You've had the lo- the Moog little fatty in, is that right? Oh, yes. Is that an exclusive? Uh, yeah, we um, spoke to Moog about this. Moog, sorry. Uh, over in the States, and they were very good. They even uh, they helped us out a lot on that. They they hooked one off the production line, rushed it through uh, sort of quality control, and then uh, got it out to us. Yeah, a few weeks back, and uh, all came together in the nick of time. Fortunately, our reviewer had uh, more than enough time to get to grips with it, and uh, yeah, he said it was amazing. Brilliant. You'll have to read the full review in uh, this month's Future Music. <laughs> well, of course. Why else would you be here? But not just the uh, the little fatty. Of course, we got a. Three fantastic synths, the Fatty, the uh, Roland's SH-201, and the Vation Zyre synth. So, uh, yeah. yeah, that's been causing a bit of a stir, the Zyre synth, hasn't it? Yeah, it's very cool. I saw um, there's, there's some sort of interesting, pod, you know, strange video business of uh, the curators of the Museum of Techno kind of messing around. They don't actually seem to play one, but they just drink a lot of sherry. Well, on our cover disc, I can't call it a cover disc anymore, can I? Because it's on the inside of the mag. But, it's still uh, attached to a cover. We've got the three episodes from the Museum of Techno um, on the disc, so you can check them out. And I think the third one's exclusive to us. It's not going to be released for a couple of weeks yet. Mm. So, uh, yeah, they're all on there. Well, if only we had some sherry today, we could be kind of there in spirit. <laughs> Indeed. The whole sort of German thread, because the reason I mentioned the little fatty is that uh, Axel Hartmann, don't you know, who uh, from Hartmann Neuron and uh, various other synths, uh, was instrumental in the design or the front panel design of the Moog Little Fatty as well as uh, the virus, T.I. Did you know that? No. I think I'd heard that about the virus. I didn't know that about the Moog. This, this continuing our more German theme, um, Waldorf. Now, I seem to remember some time ago there was an announcement on their website saying, good news, folks, we're coming yeah. back. We've, we've resurrected the company. They wrestled... Cause, didn't it get kind of tied in with... I was going to talk about TerraTech for a while. There was so, yeah, it all got a bit kind of, yeah. you know, one of those buyouts that ended up going messy and, you know, the brand was tied in and nobody, no money was going to R&D and that kind of stuff. But by all accounts, they're supposed to be back. But I did email somebody last week because it, it was the same message on the website saying, we're coming back. And nobody, um, nobody responded. So I don't know if anybody we'll actually knows anything. <laughs> but, no, um, I haven't heard anything. Right. You just told me. Did that um, Waldorf box ever see the light of day? I think it was just before the troubles began when they had... Uh, AFB-16. That was it. It was the breakout sort of box. That filter was bank. wire to 16 analogue filters, wasn't it? It was. Um, in fact, uh, we shot a video of um, um, demonstrating this, uh, and it looked amazing, but it was incredibly expensive. I seem to remember it was somewhere around €2,000, somewhere around there. I, I, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll look it up and put it in the notes, but... I and mean, then it did. It was an awful lot of filters, but I'm not entirely sure how one would um, require that many simultaneously. Filter for every occasion. I suppose so. You could always chain them together and filter it out until there was nothing left. <laughs> Maybe you could construct a sort of filter-based fade-out for your track. Yeah, I wonder what nothing sounds like, 64-bit. <laughs> it's very quiet. Coming 
soon from Sonic State. Hi, um, I'm Andrew Coleman, um, also known as Animals and Wheels. Uh, I'm a musician and producer and bender. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. I, um, Just by uh, short circuiting, I've got these, I've put knobs on. <laughs> Quite good, isn't it? Well, I think we should talk about computer music. Ronan, uh, being the editor of computer music, is uh, obliged to tell us about at least one nifty uh, feature that he's got. One nifty feature. Um, and the one that I thought was the uh, Get Inspired 100 Ways to Recharge Your Music Making Batteries, which... Um, Gives you a number of tips, basically, on how to. If you're a hundred tips, a hundred tips. Not a tip more, nor less. If you're stuck creatively, what do you do then, Ronan? Well, you turn to this issue of computer music, the one that's on sale now, um, and you get. Well, I don't know. You pick a pick a one of a hundred tips at random, or just sort of start working through them, and they're all kind of. Uh, th- there's nothing kind of sort of technical in there. They're all you know, ideas to get you kind of thinking outside the box, as it were. Okay. And uh, have you got a particular favourite? Uh, I quite like the code one. There's one where you can uh, take like the alphabet and assign each letter uh, either a note pitch or a note duration or anything you like, or, you know, a crescendo, a decrescendo. And take like a, an advert or a poem or something and take all the letters and turn that into a sequence. Wow, that sounds incredibly... Idea. Yeah, it sounds like you need to have your wits about you to pull that one off. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, you know, if, you, if you're stuck in a musical right at least you wouldn't be doing any music for a little while have you got any tips for how to resurrect a uh, a failing podcast episode <laughs> <laughs> I, I think i i don't know my, I, my favorite is all i'm not sure if you've got it listed here which is always turn everything off go go home or go downstairs go somewhere else come back days hours later and you'll probably come at it completely fresh that's what i used to do when yeah. i was doing a lot of remixes if it wasn't happening after three hours i just think well i, I don't really want to kind of wear it out because it's very easy to end up having a sort of bizarre relationship with the piece you're working on and actually you get a bit frightened of it if it yeah. makes you feel bad you know yeah. so you best to, to get out while before that starts to happen yeah I've definitely in situations like that where yeah. i've developed a hate hate relationship with a piece of music yeah how about you dave have you got any top tips for uh yeah pub or punch something <laughs> Uh, no, walk away from it. That's the only way. God. In fact, funnily enough, I had this yesterday. I had uh, a friend of mine on iChat saying, oh, God, how can I charge my musical batteries up again? Because he'd been on holiday and he was just trying to get back into the swing of things. Um, so brilliantly enough, I just told him to go and buy computer music. Oh, <laughs> uh, I could almost imagine that was a planned thing. It's all in there. It's a great feature. You've got a DVD-ROM, I noticed as well, because you've all, we you have every month. You have loads of stuff on there. Yeah, I haven't looked at it for a while, but um, what's this Betabugs Vacillator? Uh, it's an excellent plugin. Actually, it's I know what it is. It's an amazing semi-modular delay plugin. Exactly, it is exactly that. Um, it's it's yet another CM exclusive. Um, it was built for us by the wonderful Betabugs, and it really is an amazing little thing. It's just it's a delay line with a filter and envelope followed, follower. And you can kind of realign, the re, you know, reroute the modules within it. Very easy to use. Sounds absolutely awesome. And uh, free with computer music. How does that work uh, in terms of um, getting exclusive things done for you? I mean, is it a kind of, um, you know, we'll get, they can promote one of their products, or do they actually, you know, or do you sort of commission? It varies. Yeah, sometimes we commission them. Sometimes we'll, you know, people will come to us with things. 
sometimes people just make stuff and they, they want to get it out there. So right. It's, it, it completely varies depending who it is. Well, that's kind of interesting because, I mean, one of the other items that we were I was I was hoping to look at was uh, I got a, a press release about something called Otium Beat Puncher, mm. which is a, a, a compressor that's designed specifically for beats. And it looked really cool, but I noticed it was PC only. And I was just wondering, you know, what with... Now we're getting to kind of Intel processors as the core for essentially all flavors of computing. Are there are there going to be more um, dual platform, if you like, things coming along? Because essentially it's going to be coding the same for well, the same hardware, or is that doesn't it? No, work like it that? doesn't. It's it's you're still coding for Windows and OS Ten, effectively, which is still you know pretty much as different as it ever was. Um, I mean, the majority of plugins that come out these, the majority of kind of you know high end plugins that come out these days are dual platform. I think a lot of people just make PC-only stuff because they are developing on PC and they have a small budget or a small amount of time to put into it. And, you know, it, it just kind of works out that way. And obviously the PC market is still much bigger than the, the Mac market. Yeah, well, it's a shame, really, because, I mean, obviously, you know, there's some really good stuff for PC that and freeware, some of it, or some of it's very, you know, very yeah, low stuff. cost. And yeah. it, it, it's um, we can't get hold of it. I wonder if some cunning person, what with virtualization, mm-hmm. whether somebody's going to write something that enables you to kind of wrap it up and use yeah. it from within, you know, say, Logic or... Uh, I'm, f- I'm fairly amazed that hasn't happened already. But, I mean, you, you know, you, there, there are various ways of running Windows on the new Macs, of course. I suppose one of the things is, I mean, you can run a lot of this stuff on something like uh, Muse Research Receptor, couldn't you? Receptor, I suppose you could yeah. you could do that. I mean, and that, that would be a way of doing it. I don't know if anyone ever saw that. Uh, we did a demo of their Uniwire technology. Uniwire, that was yeah. really impressive, where it all just happens over yeah. Ethernet cable. And you can plug those in onto the network and just access it via a plug-in. Yeah. So I suppose that might be a way of getting some of this PC stuff into your Mac because they've got a wrapper for core audio and a wrapper for VST, I yeah, think, so that they, they, you can just bring in. Platform issues out of it. Yeah, it's a great thing, Receptor. It's, it's maturing very nicely. Definitely. Always sort of strikes me it doesn't kind of get as much headway and press as it, as it should, perhaps. Um I guess not. I mean, it's you know they they're kind of always around. They've always got they've always got that top that top bar on KVR, obviously. So I guess you know a lot of people see that all the time. Dave, does your does your stuff work on uh, Receptor? I'm sure I've seen it there. Yep. And is that uh, was do they kind of take care of that transition, or do you have to kind of get fairly heavily involved? And uh, how does that work? Uh, no, 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 it's a piece of cake. Oh, that's good. Something that works in um, as a piece of cake. That must be kind of very refreshing. Uh, yeah, better than apple. Easy. <laughs> For those who haven't heard the podcast before, if you go back over the various issues, you, you'll probably hear some comment or other about how difficult it is to code for Apple's various uh, uh, OS and technology iterations. I mean, are you finding that people are using your stuff like live on Receptor, or are they using them on maybe uh, on you know just laptops or whatever? Are you getting any feedback from that? Uh, a lot of live guys. In fact, I'd say mostly live guys. You know, major tour stuff. Stuff like that, and particularly old school guys who are a bit kind of freaked about taking laptops on the road and stuff like that. They much rather take a kind of hardware rack. Um, I'm trying to think, one of the recent gigs. Oh, that War of the Worlds. You know, the Jeff Wayne's War of the Worlds big tour. That was using a few receptors and our stuff and that. I mean, that's the one thing that they do put on their site. They've got a hell of a lot of artist endorsements and sort of on the road stories. Yeah. And uh, I mean, I must admit, I, I was kind of. Because I put together some hardware for a, a touring app, and I, I kind of, I and they are nervous about taking laptops or computers on the road as to, 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 to you know, as the main source. You know, they're still running Akai S5000, S6000, which is fine, but the RAM's running out, and um, you know, you can't get any bits for them. Whereas, presumably, Receptor, 
a bunch of you know a bunch of the stuff in t- inside those is sort of fairly standard PC fodder. SonicState.com. I usually have a, a few well-formed links to jump between topics, but I've got absolutely diddly this week. <laughs> so we're just going to have a random collection of sort of rough edit cuts with some sort of. Uh, but you know, hey, as a new style, maybe it'll be uh, it appreciated. Up? Yeah, it'll be a mashup. Yeah. Did anyone see that news about MySpace who are going to be selling songs? Oh yeah. yeah. Yes. Because everybody's sort of going on about iTunes killers. Yeah. And it, you know, as they say, we have actually got 106 million users, which is kind of most of the world, as far as I can gather. Yeah. Um, does that? Do, do you think they're probably the the most likely to be able to? Uh, into some of Apple's uh, revenue sh- split? Um, not immediately, I wouldn't have thought, because they've got 106 million users, all of whom are, you know, n- none of whom are major artists that the world in l- at large are trying to find, I think. Oh, I'm not sure about that. There's lots of people on MySpace who, who've got official deals and what have you. But they're not going to be presumably selling stuff through MySpace. They're going to be selling stuff through their usual channels, I would have thought. Oh, they are, but I think there's, there's kind of talk of maybe um, it... It tying in and that there being yeah, some way of doing that because I mean, it, initially the idea is to basically uh, allow unsigned bands to charge for downloads of their tracks so that they can be put into um, MP3 players of various yeah. descriptions, and they get to set the split and what have you, which is kind of a nifty idea. It makes a it a bit idea. more. I think it's a great idea, but I don't think it's really. I don't know. I mean, it's uh, in in that form, it's not really the same thing as iTunes. I don't no, think. I suppose just, not. Just in the you know, iTunes is a wholly commercial. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, apparently, EMI have uh, have been looking, you know, yeah. uh, uh, in negotiations. EMI. I mean, given given our discussion last week about stuff being free in return for looking at advertising, I mean, surely most bands will go. Wait a minute! If I charge for my songs, no one will download them. Whereas if they're free, everybody then everybody will surely. Yeah, oh, it's all it's all new stuff, isn't it? I guess you got to sort of see how it works out. Particularly the the, the free model, which is yeah, which is truly intriguing it's a sort of win-win-lose-lose kind of um, yeah, scenario everybody isn't it? wins and loses at the same time it's perfect it's quite strange isn't it i remember reading something uh, a couple of months ago about a bunch of academics got together they did a sort of focus group and it came out the the conclusion that people's perceptions of music these days is that it's, it has no worth which mm-hmm. i find is a very strange sort of cul-de-sac for us to be maneuvering ourselves down it's and horrible. the fact that everyone's expecting everything for free i mean at least once upon a time, they used to steal it for free, but now they're just expecting it legally yeah, for yeah. free. It's wh- where are we going with this? I don't know. I mean, I quite like MySpace, but they've oh god, if they're going to do anything sort of even vaguely chargeable, then they've got to get this bloody streaming nonsense sorted out because it is a nightmare at the minute. You go on somebody's site, you get a kind of ten-second snippet, and then all of a sudden it's buffering for an yeah. hour. And then you have to reload. So they really do need to get their act together with that. It can't be that hard. Presumably they just need to pay more money for bandwidth. So. Yeah, well, uh, Krista Wolf, the, the co-founder, said everyone we've spoken to definitely wants an alternative to quote. iTunes everyone and the iPod. MySpace could be that alternative. It's a sort of one of those <laughs> smoke and mirrors kind of statements, yes. isn't it? Every, I, I've spoken to my mum yeah. and uh, a bloke who works for MySpace <laughs> and has got shares in them. Yeah, <laughs> It's uh, yeah, cl- classic piece of corporate speak. What it does mean, apparently, is there's going to be quite a major redesign and, and a new look and interface tweaks to, to the site. So, you know, mm. if you're on MySpace, then you might start seeing a few changes fairly soon. Did you see the, uh, the creative won $100 million off Apple um, for some... It's very vague. It's, I've, look, I've, I've tried to find out exactly... It, they settled, they settled yeah. yeah. And it's some sort of... I'm not quite sure what it is. I mean, they seem to have masked it up in the f- into into something that means that 
Apple have bought something from Creative. It allows them to use. It means they've got rights over the the that they can use the patent, or they can they can use the patented technology, and they get. I believe they get some of the money back if Creative sell the sell the technology to other companies. Is it is uh, it the Zen player based on the Zen player? It's to do with the interface. It was kind of a race to get the patent, and Creative just happened to get it first. Uh, there's some sort of two-way traffic because I, p- I believe that uh, it also means that Creative have won the right to to sell iPod branded stuff too. Yeah, they can do the the uh, made. For, they've joined the made for iPod program, which obviously is incredibly lucrative for anybody that's lucky enough to get on it. So Creative have done very well out of it, and Apple presumably have done very well out of it by not having a really nasty protracted i think five court case. well obviously this podcast is made for ipod so uh yeah, maybe you. it'll be incredibly lucrative one day without the tm after it yeah well that must be <laughs> it don't it <laughs> now they've got 100 million dollars do you think that's going to kind of inject a bit of um, love into product development so. they're kind of making headphones at the moment which which strikes me as very odd they make sort of 80 quid i think sets of headphones and things which is not something you'd expect from creative obviously um i think that i mean they are still huge in you know, consumer sound cards, right? And speakers as well. They sell a lot of, a lot of kind of computer five-one systems and that sort of thing. Well, they've got all that kind of Audigy, um yeah. and all that. They, they've which got those sort know, of great cards for DSP stuff as well, cards. haven't they? Yes, indeed. Which is all all developed by Emu ultimately, I think. Because Emu have got you know they've got a real pedigree of um, of doing great stuff. I yeah, mean, that, yeah, yeah. they were the fir- you know first they, affordable samplers. They do, you know, their sound card, the you know the uh, the eighteen. What is it? 1812, 18, is it? Is it 1812? 1812M. Okay, the 1812M uh, is a truly amazing thing. Lots of people say, I wish they made them for the Mac because they do sound great. I know, you know surely they'd be able to do a driver or two because it's, it's just a PCI yeah, card, isn't it? So. You think so? They're they're and they, they, for, some, with, for some reason. You know, you can't buy, you can't buy an Audigy for a Mac either. That's you know. the thing, isn't it? They haven't it's made that leap at all. Something I wonder if there. that's I mean, going to come. Not. I've actually got a Creative Lab sound card in my old OS9 machine. Which one? Sound Blaster. Well, one of the really old ones. I don't think it was ever released. I don't think it was ever released. A mate of mine worked for Creative and said, yeah, yeah. here's a Sound Blaster and uh, pull, here's some drivers. Pull the van up round back and late <laughs> on a Friday night. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. No, I've got, I've got some classic Creative stories if you want them at some point, but you can't use them. Oh, we can't <laughs> use any of them. They must have some really, really wealthy lawyers now. They're just thinking, have, yeah. imagine, you know, you pro- no, no win, no fee. What's your cut on 100 million? Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> So um, there was another couple of items. I mean, one of the ones was. Um, did anyone see the? Uh, you probably haven't had a chance to look at this, but the what's in a name? The origin origins of many band names. I'd look at that. Did anyone like see the that? Portishead one. Portishead, Portishead, the town where they come from. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. That's a good one. Dave, did you have a chance to look at that one? I did. I'm very disappointed they missed off my favourite one. What was that? Hackney Five O. <laughs> it's got to be the best name for a band ever. That's a p- word play on Hawaii Five O, presumably. Certainly, and they came from Hackney. <laughs> yeah, no. I rather like David Bowie actually, because I thought it was going to be you know something really exotic, but it was basically his name was David Jones, and he didn't want to be confused with Davy Jones of the Monkeys, uh, quite understandably. Yeah. Although he was a lot taller than him, I think it would have been quite hard for him. Well, people recognised uh, stars back in those days, but was it? I forget who it was. Was it Guardian or something? Went out to the streets last week and uh, had a whole bunch of photos of you know, so-called celebs, mm-hmm. and uh, all of them practically virtually unrecognisable to all but the most, the, the keenest followers of <laughs> pop. 
Really? Uh, I think people recognise the Arctic Monkeys, which in itself is bizarre because they're probably the most. They disappear in a crowd fairly they easily. D- yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, no. Where, where's Star Quality gone? I think they recognise people like James Blunt, but then uh-huh. presumably that's just because they're so on everyone's hit list. <laughs> 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 Lots of people with pictures of him on their dartboards. James, if you're listening, I know you're a fan, but you know, we're only joking, mate. And 10cc, anyone get that one? I uh, thought that was the best, actually. Yeah, I think that was the best as well. I'm not sure how to put it, but it's the, apparently the average amount of um, special sauce from, uh, from a healthy male when he's pleasured. Oh, we could just say it's it's the average amount of semen that a healthy male will ejaculate. There you go. That there makes you, go. you sound you less like that. a deviant. Do you know what? I actually, I'm glad I could say that. I feel, I feel now sort of, but it does mean, of course, we'll have to put a little explicit tag in our um, podcast thing. Cool. And I've just submitted the, this podcast to a load of directories and I didn't tick that box. Do you oh. think that's going to mean we're in trouble? We'll soon find out. hundred million dollar lawsuit. Yeah. Hey, well, as long as we win. Uh. <laughs> YouTube. We saw a few things on YouTube. Um, now, one of the things, um, Dave, you sent in, and this will appeal to to, uh, to Ronan, I, I suspect, because Ronan, before he came to future uh, to computer music, he used to edit uh, Rhythm. Rhythm, which is obviously a drummer's magazine. And there was a great clip of Stanley Clark, who uh, is sort of was he sort of jazz fusion funk bassist? He's the ultimate jazz fusion. Yeah, bassist. but more importantly, Steve Gadd, and it's them. It's like a little sort of moment of them playing together you know bouncing off each other and steve gadd is just playing it was basically hi-hat snare and bass drum with the old cymbal it's a a master class in understatement drumming mm. wise not bass playing mm. wise particularly but you wouldn't expect that standing spot but it's just amazing gadd is incredible absolutely incredible did you ever get to meet the man um, i did i interviewed him a couple of times he's a very very nice guy um and the the first time i interviewed him it was in the back of a like a Land Rover or something, and he was playing with Paul Simon, I think it was. So is he really annoying? Sits there tapping his knees all the time. No, he doesn't. He's very quiet. And very still. Is he? Is he like yeah. kind of kung fu master? Yeah, 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 absolutely. There, there was a kind of whole phase, uh, kind of golden era of what sort of eighties and early not well, mostly the eighties when kind of jazz and fusion and stuff was kind of really big. So you'd have all yeah. these kind of celebrity musicians and people who were really highly regarded and there were you know there were a bunch of drummers that kind of got it and you know obviously there were quite a lot of bass players as well that, yeah. that were allowed to to step up to the plate and you know I mean, that's, do that's their thing. the thing with it was and yeah sort of it was you know kind of late 80s early 90s where it all started going a little uh, a little too west coast as it were as you got these most in, these incredible musicians like you know just just amazing players on a technical level um, a lot of whom had very little heart and the music was Lots of very notes. soulless. Awful, mm. You know, awful lot of notes. When it kind of, you know, it went beyond, but it shouldn't have had the word jazz anywhere near half of it. It was so kind of, you know, unsoulful. They were hacks, but they yeah. were really well, you know, they... So they, very cynical about it all. Yeah, it's like, look how fast I can do a paradiddle. Yeah, which was, you know, absolutely breathtaking if you're a drummer watching, like, you know, Dave Weckl, say, who's an yes. amazing drummer, absolutely incredible, uh, to watch if you're a drummer, because it's, it's mind-blowing. But musically, you know, the bands that he was doing stuff with, it's not. It, it came away from the groove, wasn't it? And Steve Gadd was really a kind of groovy guy. Yeah. I and mean, didn't he do a lot of Steely Dan stuff yeah, as well? Yeah, yeah, he did. He did all manner of pop stuff, which kind of kept him grounded, as it were. But I mean, you can tell. I mean, it's worth watching it. You know, just sort of see what a groovy drummer's like because he really is one. It's incredible. And I didn't realise until fairly recently that it was military trained. So yeah, that, oh, that actually yeah. accounts for an awful lot. 
I yeah. write all that kind of fabulous snare drum work and the yeah, most of the yeah. press rolls. Most of the kind of you know, most of the the massive US you know, sort of drummers of that of that kind of ilk are. They all do marching band at school and that kind of thing. That's how they come into it. I imagine we're probably alienating droves of listeners <laughs> as we talk yeah, about this yeah. stuff at the moment. But but it's worth checking out. I mean, you know, there is there is a kind of all these guys aren't really fashionable so much now. And you know, the the people who who, who only seem to still get name checked are kind of people like Herbie Hancock and what have mm. you. And you know, while great, there's an awful lot of other people who were were doing great stuff and you know are still kind of quite groovy. And you know, it wasn't that far away from pop at certain times. Yeah. Okay, well, I think we can probably call it a wrap. I mean, thanks very much, guys, for coming in. Um, thanks, Oz. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure, as usual. And thank you very much, Ronan. My pleasure. Thank and you. thank you, Dave. Cheers. So, once again, please do get in touch with us. Uh, we'd love to hear your comments or anything you fancy just leaving an answer phone message on our Skype handle, Sonic Talk, or if you want to give us a ring, we've got a number in the US, and that's 312-376-8089. Outside the US, 001-312-376-8089. Uh, alternatively, you can email us at sonictalk at sonicstate.com. We look forward to hearing from you, and we'd love to use some of your stuff in future podcasts. Sonic State. Not home.